0: Raise a hand. We got some Bibles in the back. Be happy to give you a copy of God's words, so you can follow along with us. And if you don't have a Bible, you can keep that too. That's that's our, our gift to you for sure. Um, otherwise, grab that Bible and start finding the teeny tiny book of Philemon. Teeny tiny. You got to hit all those T books: Thessalonians and Timothy and Titus. It's right after that and before. For Hebrews, letter of Philemon, Did you find it. She's little. <laughs> Friendship is a great, great gift that God gives us. Friendship is such a such a benefit and a blessing, and sometimes it's just effortless, those friendships that we have, those people that we get along with that we have so much in common with. It's easy to hang. It's an effortless relationship, fun to have friends, fun to have people like that, but not all relationships are are like that, are they? Sometimes things start off good, but they don't really stay that way. Sometimes you you meet someone and just... Man, it doesn't even take about two seconds, and you're just like, nope, me and that person, not going to be friends. Doesn't always happen. Sometimes relationships don't work out. Sometimes they do, and even the relationships that we do have, they're fragile, and they're delicate. They're frail. They depend on those really important connections. Relationships exist because of those common preferences that we have, those things that draw that relationship together in the first place. You might call them, you know, things in common or junior high version would just be stuff that we both like, right? That's what makes those friendships really, really good because you guys like the same stuff. If those common likes or common bonds are headed in the same direction, that friendship is, it's just going to get better and better. And if not, well, trouble is inevitable. That friendship isn't going to make it. That friendship's going to be tested. James chapter four, verse one, just listen. James writes this, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? So when it comes to friendships, when you both want the same stuff, um, you cheer for the same team, you have the same like in music, you wear the same clothes, you, you have the same hobbies, whatever it is, when, when those are the same, you're you're sharing those same desires. But it's when those likes, those desires, those passions begin to head in different directions that that friendship starts to crumble. To use James' words, that's when that relationship starts to experience quarrels and fights. What happens to those relationships? What happens to those, I don't know, those friends, those family members who we fight with, who do things that we don't really want them to do, who begin to like things that we're not really interested in or no longer seem to be interested in us. When we have those fights, those those quarrels, what happens? Well, we get probably initially sad or embarrassed when things start to go bad with those people that we thought we'd be friends with for a long time. We We get embarrassed. Maybe we get Hurty feeling a little bit, and that starts to lead to maybe some anger or even mad. Then we get bitter at them, and potentially even hateful. That relationship's in a, a really bad spot. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you're you're wondering that you've experienced that recently with a friend or maybe someone closer, a family member, where you're like, "What's going on?" And it sort of got you thinking, are all of my relationships sort of headed there, the way James talks about? Is every relationship I have, is it just going to end in a quarrel or a fight? Are all of my friendships, these relationships destined to fail? I mean, it seems unlikely that I'm going to share the, the same interests with someone my entire life. That's just a low percentage. So what should we do? Should we just start avoiding each other now? Just looking to live in isolation? Should we say no to relationships or friendships? Start getting away from our family? Do we just embrace virtual reality now and call it good? Is Oculus the answer? Please don't say yes. It's cool, but not the answer. What are we supposed to do? Well, the answer is is found here in this little letter to Philemon. It's found here in God's word, and it's an answer that you already know. On our own, it's true, our relationship, all of them really are destined to fail. They're going to be really difficult. They're going to be really challenging. But with Christ, they can be full of joy. Those relationships can be sources of, of happiness and contentment. It can be full of unity and love, and even in a relationship that's been fractured because of the gospel, there can be forgiveness, and there can be restoration. Our relationships can be so rewarding, but only because of the gospel. The gospel changes everything. Gospel offers the the best bond, the greatest connection that we can share with others, and it's the best thing to have in common with someone else. The gospel, I would say it this way, it trumps all other shared likes. It's the most important. Being a Christian, it's far superior to any hobby or any fashion statement being a christian it's it's better than loving some band that's popular it's better than being a dodger fan go dodgers the gospel creates the ultimate common bond it changes everything and it will last forever and we're going to see this truth come to life over the next few weeks as we study this letter to philemon a short little letter it's going to help us look past our sinful passions. Help us look past our sinful desires. It's going to help us understand how to live in love and unity rather than to quarrel and fight with everybody. It's going to help remind us that the gospel outranks all other labels. Gospel can bring healing to those relationships under stress, Forgiveness and restoration are not only possible, but they're actually a a joy. It's an easy choice for those who've been made a new creation by the gospel of Christ. So the letter to Philemon, that's where we're going to be the next few weeks. And we're going to start that this morning, just an introductory sermon to this letter to help us understand before we really start to dissect it what matters and what's important and what's going on with these people so that we can really benefit from God's Word. Okay, so why study Philemon? Why this letter? Well, if you've been with us in exchange, you know, sort of a few weeks ago, we finished our series on the letter to the Colossians. And it was, it's been a while, but we just wrapped up that letter that began with a helpful introduction to help us understand how that little church was founded, that letter to the Colossians. How did that begin? What was there? And we have to revisit that because this letter is connected. In Acts chapter 19, Paul, the man who wrote both this letter and the letter to the Colossians, he's there in Ephesus, and that's going to be the beginning of the church in Colossae. He was doing what Paul does. He was preaching the gospel. He was telling everyone who would listen about Christ and about his word. And a day happened when a man named Epaphras, who was a citizen of Colossae, heard Paul preaching. And hearing the gospel just totally transformed that man's life. He heard it, he believed, he became a Christian, and he was never the same. He became an evangelist. He was like a missionary or a church planner. He went straight back to where he was from in Colossae, and he started to tell all of his friends and all of his family about this gospel, about what he just heard and learned from Paul. And he was obviously really effective. A lot of people listen, and a lot of people are believing in Colossae, so much so that they begin to have a church. And that church begins to meet in someone's house, and that person's house. Name was Philemon. Philemon, we're going to learn a little bit more about him this morning, but Philemon had, this is the most important part, he had a slave. That slave's name was Onesimus. Again, we'll get to the details here shortly, but the circumstances for Onesimus led him to Paul. Paul was now in Rome, and Onesimus, the slave of Philemon, is there And he's listening to Paul, and wouldn't you know it, he gets saved too. It's been some amount of time, and that little church in Colossae began to have some problems. There was a false teacher in their community and in their church, and he was really dangerous and really confusing a lot of the believers there, so much so that Epaphras, who founded that little church, left to go find Paul. And he found Paul, told him all the good stuff that had happened, all the benefit of how the gospel had sparked in this little town and how this church had grown and was established. But there was this false teacher. And so Paul wrote a letter. He actually wrote two letters, one to the church at Colossae and another letter to the one who was hosting that church named Philemon. Colossians was intended to be a letter for the whole church, and Philemon is a personal letter to this man who hosts the church, but Paul also wants the church to listen in. Those two letters are delivered by Tychicus, funny name, but also this slave named Onesimus. They show up in this church one day in this man's house, Philemon's house, and they have these two letters from Paul. And I picture this. I picture probably Tychicus reading that first letter, that whole letter to the Colossians, that one that we spent weeks and weeks looking at. I picture him reading that, and then I actually think Onesimus handed that letter to Philemon, and then Philemon would have read these words. Philemon verse 1. Paul a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy our brother to Philemon our beloved fellow worker and Ephea our sister and Archippus our fellow soldier and the church in your house grace to you and peace from God our father and the Lord Jesus Christ I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what's required, yet, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. As a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I'll repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self, Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers, I'll be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So as we think about the letter to the Colossians, we have to keep in mind that this little short letter to Philemon is so closely connected. If you can let your brain rewind that far back, I know that might be difficult, but we learned so much from the letter to the Colossians, so much truth about Jesus, so much wonderful truth about Christ and how incredible the gospel that he offers truly is. It's not a perfect breakdown, but you could think about Colossians sort of in two parts. Chapters one and two taught us why following Christ is worth it. And then chapters 3 and 4 of Colossians taught us how to follow Christ. Again, not a perfect breakdown, but fairly close. And as we think about that letter, there was some, some recent thoughts that are going to help us think about Philemon. Paul just explained in Colossians, for those who are new creations who are saved by the gospel, Those people who believe that Jesus died for their sins, there's a certain way you're called to live. That's where chapter three began. Here's how to follow Christ. And it starts with your mind. We are to keep our focus on Christ. Christians keep their focus on Jesus. And as we do that, we are, especially rather than focusing on this world, we're going to begin to want to be more like Jesus and Colossians 3 there, Paul explained, being more like Jesus means putting to death those sins that are in your mind and those sins that are in your heart and those sins that are often on your tongue. We need to put those sins to death and then we're going to replace those. Christians will want to replace those sins with Christ-honoring behavior. Christians are, are, are going to be kind and compassionate, they're going to be humble, and they're going to be meek, they're going to be patient, they're going to bear with one another in love, and they're going to forgive each other. And he sort of puts a capstone on it, like, you know, it's really just being a, being loving, like Jesus was. Knowing that that's difficult, that's tough to do, Paul gives some tips on how to do that. Still in chapter 3 of Colossians, he says, look, To make it easier, let me just give you some some guiding principles here. You let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. You just trust him no matter what's going on. Know that your heart can be at rest and at peace because Christ who is over all and in all is in control. And the second sort of helpful tip there will be to just fill your mind, your life with as much of God's word as you can possibly hold. Just keep adding and learning and growing. And then a a most helpful part of principle of following Christ is to basically think about representing Christ everywhere you go. All the time, day in, day out, I'm representing my Savior in everything I do and everything I say. And that's what it is to follow Christ. Paul, then in Colossians towards the end of chapter 3, goes into some specific relationships. You want to know how this affects your life? Well, it's going to affect it in these major relationships. You're going to find yourself in one or many of these life relationships, marriage or parent-child relationship or the slave-slave-owner relationship. So Paul, just explaining that, just working through all of that, we hear that, and then this letter to Philemon is read. Now, here is the perfect example, the perfect living illustration of how living like a Christian and how the gospel changes everything. Immediately, we have a slave owner and a slave in a relationship that is under stress. Now we get to see the gospel put into practice. This group of believers immediately gets an opportunity to go, okay, let's see how this can work. Let's see how this can flush out. How will the gospel outrank those social labels of master or slave owner and slave? What's it going to do? How's it going to change it? How does the gospel help these two men live in love and unity rather than to quarrel and fight? How is forgiveness going to be possible? Well, the answer is is here in this letter, and the answer is going to be more detailed in the weeks ahead. But for this morning, I want you to know that the gospel is the answer. When we become a Christian, the gospel becomes the most important thing about us. It's our new identity. It's it's who we are. And not only that, but we naturally then have the ultimate common bond with other believers. That's why the gospel outranks labels. That's why the gospel brings unity when nothing else possibly could. It brings forgiveness when it's needed where only division and fighting were once possible, there can be restoration because of the gospel. So, Philemon, what do we need to know to help us in the weeks ahead? What will, what will give us a little bit more understanding? What can whet our appetites? Just a little bit, a, a few minutes about some of these details. Just to kind of get into it a little bit. Who is this letter written to? These people mentioned in verse 1 and 2. Well, Philemon is the focus, again, he appears to have been a resident of the city of Colossae. You could go back to Colossians chapter 4, verse 9. There, Onesimus is mentioned as being one of them. Philemon's his, his, his master, his, his owner, so clearly he's a part of Colossae too, and he's faithful. That's how Paul describes Philemon. He's a beloved brother how Paul also describes Onesimus, both beloved brothers, both fellow workers. Here Philemon is mentioned as someone who's a believer and a gospel worker, somebody who cares about the church. Later in this letter, verse 16, Paul again repeats that phrase for Onesimus. He's a beloved brother. And notice how that creates this instant connection. It's not about who you are. It's not about where you work or really what your title is, especially as we think about a social structure. No, the ultimate thing here is that they're brothers, they're fellow workers. They're both beloved. And if we go back to Colossians, we see that same phrase being used of a lot of people, Epaphras and Tychicus and Luke and others. Onesimus is on equal ground. He's on the same footing as every other Christian every other follower of Christ. Letter not only written to Philemon, but others. This mention of, of Phia. A lot of commentators believe that this is likely Philemon's wife. And I tend to agree. I think that makes good sense. The way that they're presented and it's talking about their house seems very likely the case. Philemon would be mentioned first as the head of the house. And here now is the mention of Aphia. But again, Paul's focus in this entire letter is is the relationship that the gospel brings. She's not just Philemon's wife. Did you notice how Paul describes her? She's a sister. She's a sister in Christ. That's the most important thing about her. That's what truly matters. That's the thing that gets the most ink. And then... Archippus, or however you pronounce that. I've tried it a hundred different ways. I'm going with Archippus. Probably the son of Philemon and Aphia. Interesting to think about him too. He's called not a son here, but a fellow soldier. And that's even a different word than Paul normally uses. Kind of an interesting sort of uh, earmark for this guy. And Paul used that phrase in Philippians chapter 2 of Epaphroditus who fell ill and was almost dead while trying to serve the Lord. If that's a hint, then Archippus is someone in this church who's like a soldier, like a like an Epaphroditus. Someone who selflessly serves. Um, someone who doesn't give much regard for his own circumstances, but puts the church and Christ and the gospel and the kingdom of God above his own priorities. And he's willing to do whatever for Christ, regardless of his own safety, his own well-being. Which lead many then to believe it's possible that he's leading this little church. Epaphras, don't forget, who started it, he left. He left to go find Paul and get some help. Makes sense that he would put someone in charge. Very likely, it's this man named Archippus. Archippus. (laughs) Again, it's just interesting to think about who's here and how they're being described, and the most recognition anyone getting is their connection to Christ, their connection to the gospel. Paul so brilliantly just bringing that to the surface, even at the very beginning, this letter written to these people this little family who's decided to host this church, Philemon and Aphia and their son, who's possibly leading the church. Most of the language in this letter is clearly directed towards Philemon. I just read it. You heard that. It kind of feels like we're reading a note that we found between two people, but it's also intended for the church. A lot of the language is singular, but verse 3 and 22 and 25, Paul switches to a plural, y'all. He's, he's talking to everyone in that church. He wants them to hear. He wants them to know what he's talking to Philemon about. So don't feel bad about eavesdropping on this little letter because Paul wanted that first church to hear it, and God wants us to hear it too. It's a letter that's just loaded with truth and wisdom for us if we just take the time to understand it. So that's who it's to. Now let me just, for a few minutes, talk about this bad relationship, this stressed relationship between Philemon and Onesimus. Philemon, again, is a believer. He's We can just draw some things from the text. He's wealthy enough to have slaves, to be a slave owner. He's also wealthy enough to have the kind of house that can host a church. Something happened. Onesimus is uh, separated from Philemon. He's, He's fled from him, verses 15 to 16, hint at that. Maybe even he stole something, verse 18, from Philemon on his way out the door. Again, Onesimus somehow made his way to Rome. By God's design, he found Paul. Paul's doing what Paul does. He's preaching, and, and Onesimus becomes a believer. Some amount of time passes, verse 11 to 13, because now Onesimus has become useful to Paul. He's, he's serving Paul. Paul loves him, cares for him, but there's something just annoying Paul. It's, it's, it's something driving Paul, that Onesimus can't stay indefinitely, and Paul have a clear conscience about it. You need to go back. You need to make things right with, with Philemon. You need to be reconciled. That's why he returns, verse 12, but reconciliation needed between the slave owner and the slave is what's the most important thing here. It's interesting to think back to the letter of Colossians. Paul talked about those three relationships, marriage and the parent-child relationship. And even if you combine those, he talked twice as much about the slave-slave owner relationship. Clearly that was on his mind. Maybe it's because of this particular situation that he's thinking about. Maybe it's because it's a popular thing there in Colossae. But this relationship between Philemon and Onesimus will set the tone for the rest in the church, especially as more are becoming believers. And now those relationships are being changed. Such a good lesson for us to learn so much from as well. We can learn about forgiveness. We can learn about unity. We can see how the gospel leads to love. We can see how it just gives us this desire to do what's right not because we have to but because we we want to and the gospel puts everybody on equal footing and that's such a good thing but there's some situation going on here why why this reconciliation needed some think it's because of that that he's a runaway slave that he's a thief and yet he's now become a, a a Christian, and they need to make this right. Some think that Onesimus fled to Paul, knowing that Paul could help him work on his relationship with Philemon, that there was a a problem in the way they were treating each other, that there was a they're kind of both to blame and and Paul could act as like a mediator between the two It's possible some even think that Philemon sent Onesimus to help Paul because Paul was in this home prison. He was under this house arrest. and He needed somebody to help him and take care of him. It's possible. It's possible that Philemon sending Onesimus away would have put him in a kind of an awkward situation, that his household wouldn't have run as efficiently as it should have, that he was sort of sacrificing some. But I think as you look at the text, it's most clear that, Onesimus has left for a reason. That he's left because he doesn't want to be this slave anymore. And I think it's quite possible and most likely that he did take something with him to get to Rome or wherever he was trying to go. But I think God had another plan. I think by divine providence, this runaway slave hears the gospel and it changes his life forever. And Paul wants to send him back to restore this broken relationship because it's only right for Onesimus to do that. So that's why Paul's primary concern to have Onesimus welcome back as a believer and not as a slave. He doesn't ask Philemon to set him free. He doesn't ask for a, another sort of freedom that this slave could have sort of a, a way to be, to be legally freed while still working for his master. None of that. He just says, welcome him back like a Christian, because he is. He's your brother in Christ. Welcome him back as if you were welcoming me. It's the most important thing about Onesimus now. He's your brother, and it trumps all the problems and divisions and issues He's a brother in spite of the physical status, the social status. He's a brother in Christ. So the gospel, it affects relationships. The gospel, even between a slave owner and a slave, no matter the relationship, good or bad, it doesn't really matter because now your brothers and your family and Again, Paul addressed that in Colossians. If you're a Christian, you just live like it. You live like it if you're married. You live like it if you're a parent or a child. You live like a Christian if you're a slave owner or a slave. And here's the perfect living illustration. Forgive each other and and make this right. The gospel changes everything. Short little letter, and I'm excited to get into it in the weeks ahead full of lessons, a powerful message to help us realize that we can't ignore what God's grace has done. We can't ignore how God's gospel has not only changed our life, but the lives of those around us. We can't ignore how powerful God's gospel works and how it welcomes us all into the family of God and puts us all on equal footing. It must be realized. When it comes to other believers, especially social stuff doesn't matter. Physical stuff doesn't matter. And I'm going to say this, even our past doesn't matter. We don't have to live quarreling and fighting everyone. And I think the best part we're going to learn in the weeks ahead, it's not a grit your teeth and bear it. It's not a love them because you have to. It's a forgive and a love because you want to. Power of the gospel. Father, thank you for this morning and Lord, for your word, this short little letter. God, I know we're just scratching the surface this morning, but even here, Lord, reminded of how much we need the gospel. I pray that for these young people. Lord, help them to see that if we continue to, if they continue to ignore what what you've done, how you paid for their sin on that cross, Lord, not only are they destined for your judgment, but even this life here and now, so much harder than it needs to be. Lord, lives full of quarreling and fighting with others. Relationships almost faded for, for a horrible end. Lord, thank you for how your gospel changes everything for how we can live in unity and joy with other people. Lord, how it teaches us to forgive because of how you forgave us. God, ask for some help in our study of Philemon. Ask it to be fruitful. God, that you would change the way we think about ourselves and others, but more than anything, to help us see our need for you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.